Hello, and welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. At GVC, our mission is simple. It's to love God, love people, and love life. This year, we want to reach further into the glory and the presence of our God and experience Him like we never have before. This year is going to be different. Can you feel it? I know you will be blessed by the message and the word that God has for you today. Here we go. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. And again, thank you for your faithfulness here at GVC. Well, are you ready to get into the word this morning? Praise God. Uh, This is the Sunday before Easter. And so it's a a great uh, joy to be able to share with you this morning just what God put on my heart. And it's simply called the journey to the cross. And uh, again, when you think about just the journey that it took for Jesus to get there, uh, there is nothing without significance. And so, uh, for that matter, oftentimes when we read the Word of God, as we begin to uh, look at it and hear the details of the story, we oftentimes just kind of glaze over it as though these are just random circumstances that took place in the life of Jesus or that took place uh, Uh, leading up to what Jesus was really coming to do. But how many of you know that God doesn't do anything by accident? There is nothing that took place, or there's nothing that we see in the Word of God that is just happen chance. There's always significance in what God does and what God has done through Jesus leading up to that journey to the cross. And so this morning, we're going to look at some of those things and, and, and kind of cherry pick some of them, but look at some things that are significant and their purposes, how it uh, ministers to us or paves the way for what Jesus came to do for us. Amen. And so again, uh, today may not be one of those flowery, fluffy messages, because once again, there's going to be just some significant points that we take the time to visit. And hopefully, as we share some of these things, you will also identify that there are some things that are really uh, parallel to the things that we are dealing with today in this hour. And how many of you know that Jesus is coming back soon? I find myself uh, saying that often, and I find myself being reminded to say that in church, uh, it seems like every time that we come together, Jesus is coming soon. The Bible tells us that you'll know the signs and the time before His coming. He said, you won't know the hour, but you will know the season. Well, how many of you know that spring has sprung? Uh, I mean, we just know that on the calendar, it was just last Saturday, first day of spring. But you can just look around and sense the, the atmosphere and just how it looks and feels, and we already know spring is here. So you don't need a meteorologist to tell you that spring is here. You just know it. You feel it. Well, Jesus said the same thing would be just like that for my coming. He says, you'll sense it and you'll feel it. And the Bible also says that in this hour, he said, this generation that sees the return of Israel becoming a nation again, he said, this generation will be the generation that sees my coming. And so that means us. Speaking of Israel, Israel became a nation. And so that means that this generation that is in this room right now will see Jesus' return. And I know you've heard those things over and over and over. Jesus is coming. But listen, Jesus is coming soon. 
And so God is wanting us to get our house in order. And listen, if you have people that need Jesus, if they were to die today without Him, they're not going to spend eternity with Him. And so I'm here to tell you, it's time to focus on what is necessary. Not being distracted, not being discouraged, but being able to recognize this is the hour that Jesus is coming. Can somebody say amen? Now you might say, Pastor, when you talk like that, that gets me nervous. That gets me scared. Listen, there is nothing to be scared of when Jesus comes. In fact, if we really understood that Jesus is coming very soon, man, it ought to get us excited. You know, when I talked about just a few moments ago about giving our praise and lifting our voice and magnifying God, if heaven was a reality to us, if Jesus' coming was a reality to us, we would come to church with such expectation. We would come to church with such joy. We would come to church with such an awareness that this might be our last time together. Come on, man. And I just, I'm of the persuasion that Jesus just might come when we're in church. He says, I'm coming started with a time of prayer. Do you remember the scripture says that Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted? But when he was tempted, it says that he spent time praying and fasting and seeking the Father, right? But it was in that moment when he separated himself that Satan came to bring temptations. And the Bible says in the, the recording that we have that Satan tempted him Three times in three different ways. We see that Satan tempted him in his spirit to say, Will you bow down and renounce your father? Will you acknowledge me as God? Secondly, we see that Satan tempted him in his soul, in his mind, his will, and his emotions. And then we lastly see that Satan tempted him in his flesh, in his physical body. But the Bible says that Jesus overcame every temptation. In fact, it encourages us. It says, Jesus knows what you deal with and what you go through because he was tempted just like you. But he was without sin. So the Bible tells us that Jesus overcame the temptations in that time of prayer. And then he began his ministry. And his ministry lasted for roughly three and a half years. And we know that the Bible says that he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. The Bible says that he came to mend the brokenhearted, to heal, the, heal the, 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 the maim and the lame. He opened up the blind eyes. And we even know that he raised those from the dead. For three and a half years, he ministered to God's people. But that wasn't all that he came to do. There was a purpose as to why he truly came. And after three and a half years, the Bible says that it came to the climax of why he came and he was to finally fulfill his purpose. And as he purposed to step out on this journey of what God had commissioned him to do, once again, his ministry started in a place in time of prayer. But it came to a close also with a time of prayer. If you recall, the Bible says that he spoke to his disciples and he says, the time is at hand. And he says, my heart is extremely troubled. He says, will you come and will you pray with me? And so he goes and he goes into the garden. And he takes his disciples with him and he says, listen, stay here. And he says, I'm going to go off just a little bit and I'm going to pray. And if you recall the story, the Bible says that Jesus went along by himself and began to pray, and he was in great turmoil as though he was sweating great drops of blood, and he cried out to the Lord. He says, Father, he says, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, 
He said, let it be so, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. In that moment, Jesus was consecrating his spirit to the purpose and the plan and the fulfillment of why God sent him. He got up from that place of prayer and he went back to where his disciples were. And you recall what he found? The Bible says that when he came back, he found his disciples sleeping. Isn't it interesting that in this hour that Jesus is coming back for his disciples once again, but in too many places, too many of his children are sleeping. Jesus says, couldn't you just stay and pray with me for a while? And the Bible says that he departed a second time and he began to pray. But once again, we see that God had a heart for his people. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. In the Passions Translation, it states this. Let me put my glasses on. It says, we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention on the expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that we would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus got up from that third time, he knew what lie before him. The Bible says that Jesus... Knowing what lied before him, counted it all joy, or endured the cross with joy, knowing that you and I would become his. Now, for some reason, I believe that oftentimes we think, well, Jesus, he's the son of God. And so, obviously, he must have had some kind of superhuman strength that what he endured and what he went through, God must have helped him and graced him to be able to do that during that time. No, listen, he was 100% man. Yes, he was 100% God or Jesus, but he was also 100% man. And therefore, the Bible once again says that he felt and went through and was tempted in every way that we were. So that doesn't mean that he was like Superman, not feeling anything. No, he felt all the pain and the grief and the sorrow of that which he endured leading on this journey to the cross. But it says that he endured it with joy, knowing that on the other side of the cross... That you and I would be his. Amen. That's why he did it. Because he saw you. It's all about you. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about you. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, it's all about you. Come on, the whole reason why Jesus came was it was because it was about you. Come on, I, my mom, she used to say that to me when I was a little kid. Boy, you just think the world revolves around you. Yes, Jesus said it did. That's why he came, because it's all about me. Come on, somebody. He says he endured the cross with joy because it was all about you. Amen. Now, when he got up from that place and gathered his disciples together, obviously, there was only 11. You know why there was only 11? Because there was the 12th one that didn't happen to be there. He happened to be somewhere else collecting some money. 
and betraying Jesus. And if you recall, the Bible says that they were inquiring as to where Jesus was. And he says, I'll lead you to them. And the one that I kiss is the one that you're looking for. And so he led them to the place of where Jesus and the disciples were. And then he actually betrayed him with a kiss. And then they asked the question. They said, are you this Jesus that we are looking for? And if you recall, the Bible says that Peter pulled out his blade and cut the man's ear off that was coming after Jesus. Amen. Just cut his ear off. Come on. You coming near me? You coming near Jesus? You got to go through me first. And then Jesus turns to him and he says, Hey, man, put your blade away, man. Put the switchblade away. Come on. He says, Now, listen, I appreciate that you wanting to fight on my behalf. He said, But you, this ain't the time to lose your life right now. He said, Just put it away. Now, the thing that impresses me about that is that there was only the 12 of them, the 11 disciples and Jesus, and this whole multitude of, uh, uh, of religious leaders and soldiers that were coming to obtain Jesus. But in Peter's love for the master, he stood up for him. And isn't it interesting that in this hour in which we live, Christianity... And our love for Jesus is under attack. If you're not aware of it, the government is going after your faith. The season is turning and the tides are turning to where they're going after your rights. And you might be sitting back and saying, well, I don't agree with that. Well, then you just hide and watch because the time is coming where they're coming to take your rights and they're coming to dictate as to who and what and how you worship. It is the season in which we live. And there's too many people in the body of Christ that are cowarding down and saying, well, I guess we just don't make any noise. I guess we just got to lay down. Listen, where are the Peters that are going to stand up and say, no, we are going to defend this Jesus that we love. Amen. Now listen, I'm not advocating or suggesting that we the church become violent or go to battle over our faith because Jesus, he even responded. He says, now listen, Peter, this isn't the way that you do that. In fact, Jesus showed compassion in the midst of it, grabbed the ear that was flopped off on the, on the ground and healed the man, stuck it back on his head. I mean, that's just, that's just how much he loved that man in spite of that man coming to arrest him. So obviously Jesus is telling us love is the way. But listen, we the body of Christ have to make our voice heard. Come on, somebody. We got to take a stand. And the most important, significant way is that we're led by the Holy Spirit and how we do that. Amen. And love will be the way. I said love will be the way. But once again, how many of you know that just because we walk in love doesn't mean that we have to be mamby-pamby individuals well we're christians so we can't get indignant no listen there might be a time that we need to take a stand but it must be in love amen all right so once again we see that jesus respond or responded in love even though his betrayer stood before him now once again i said that there's just several points that i'm going to pick out here through this story that leads to the cross but again they're significant to us because once again, we are facing opposition in this hour. And they asked the question, they said, are you Jesus? 
And his response is, I am he. And just the acknowledgement of Jesus, acknowledging that he was the one that they looked for, the Bible says that the power of his acknowledgement caused all those who sought to arrest him to fall to the ground. Now, that wasn't just a fictitious fairy tale way of saying that, woo, we saw Jesus. And they were astonished. No, when he said, I'm him, the Bible says they fell to the ground. In this hour, I want you to know the name of Jesus is still above every name. When you face opposition and persecution, and persecution is coming in this hour. The name of Jesus still is above every name. And everything that comes against you in the name of Jesus will fall. Why? Because he said... Don't think it's strange in this last hour that there'll be perilous times. He says, but I'll deliver you out of them all. In the name of Jesus. Sickness, disease, cancer, virus, COVID, persecution in the name of Jesus. It has to fall. Praise God. Poverty, sickness, lack, it has to fall to the name of Jesus. Why? Because the name still carries the power. It still carries the weight. Can somebody say amen? So they arrested Jesus, obviously. And the chief priest brought false testimony against him. And if you recall, the Bible says that as they were bringing these false testimonies against Jesus to get him to a place of where they would, ex they would actually take uh, action against him, nothing was working. They were not actually buying into the things that the high priest or the chief priest were saying. But then they said this. They said, now, wait a minute. He's also saying this about himself. Jesus told us that he is going to tear down the temple and on the third day he would raise it again. And they asked Jesus, they said, did you say this? He said, I did. And at that point, they declared that he was blaspheming and they arrested him. Now, the interesting thing is, is that the statement that Jesus made was a true statement. Jesus was not talking about the physical temple. He was talking about the temple of who he was. He said, it will be torn down and on the third day it will raise again. I will raise this temple again. And just like in today's culture, they are twisting the truth and declaring blasphemy. If you've not heard the narrative in this culture today, they are saying that if you're a Christian, you're a zealot, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a homophobic person because you believe in the Bible. And listen, this culture today is taking the Word of God and is taking the truth and they are twisting it and deceiving it and they're coming against you and they're coming to take your rights. Don't think it's strange. Why? Because... The Bible says, in these hours, in these days, perilous times will come. Persecution will come. If Jesus went through it, why do you think that you're exempt from it? Because you are the body of Christ. But listen, this is all just the journey to the cross. And the cross has the power to seal the deal and bring you to victory, regardless of what you face. Amen? Jesus, once again, as they came and was accusing him, the Bible says that in the midst of all their accusations, Jesus kept quiet. 
He just kept quiet. And then when they asked him about this, they said, did you say that you would raise it on the third day? He said, yes, in fact, not only did I say I would raise it on the third day, he says, but you will see me sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne of God. So he spoke very little, but when he did speak, it carried much weight. And even in his quietness of not responding to his accusers, the chief priest then took him before Pontius Pilate and began to make their accusations. And all the while that they were making the accusations, Jesus stood there silent against his accusers. And the Bible even says that Pontius Pilate was astonished at his silence of not defending himself. And once again, when I see that in regards to the culture that we're in today, there are those individuals that say, we need to be bold, we need to be indignant, we need to make our voice heard, and I believe we need to make our voice heard. But how many of you know that you're arguing, you're fussing, and you're fighting has never changed the mind of anybody that has ever opposed you? In fact, for any of you that have ever been on Facebook, has there been anybody that has been on the extreme left that has changed your mind with all their rants of liberalism if anything it dug your heels even in more saying listen i know what i believe you're not going to change my mind you might be as liberal as can be but listen i know the one in whom i serve right on the contrary your indignant belligerent attitudes are not going to change the mind of somebody that are digging their heels in and saying you know what i don't believe in all that church stuff And am I saying that we need to be silent? No, I'm simply saying that we need to be led and not act accordingly to the flesh, but respond by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? In fact, for that matter, in this hour and in this time, there are people that want to make stands in certain areas because of all the culture that we're living in right now. And how many of you know you can sit there and say, well, I'm going to dig my heels in and I'm going to make a stand because it's, it's my moral conviction. But do you realize in a, in, a, in a world that don't understand your moral conviction can cause you to lose your Christian testimony faster than you taking a stand? Well, bless God, I just ain't going to do it. It, is, it just compromises my belief systems. Well, there's times that you need to use wisdom in the particular arena that you're in. Because once again, you can do more harm against your Christian testimony simply because you want to make a point. We doing okay this morning? Amen. So we see that Jesus was silent. Was he being silent just because he had nothing to say? No, he just knew the religious state of where they were at. That nothing that he said was going to change their mind. For he knew that this journey led to the cross. As we continue to see, they brought him before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate did not find anything to bring accusation against him. But as a result, as a, as a response to the people, the Bible says that he, turned, them, he turned, them, turned him over. And as he turned him over, the Bible says that the soldiers made a crown of thorns. They stripped him. They put a purple garment upon him. They crammed those crown of thorns on his head. They made a reed and they put it in his hand and they began to bow down before him as though to mock him. Oh, great king. The Bible says that they beat him in the face and they struck him and they spit on him. And then the Bible says that they beat him. 
They put together whips, cat of nine tails, and they scourged him. Now here's the thing. The Bible says that after they beat him, they brought him back before Pontius Pilate and before the people and his accusers. The Bible says that there was a multitude of people that were there. So literally, there was thousands of people standing around waiting to hear what the judgment of Pontius Pilate, the governor, would make against Jesus. And as he's standing there, as we've watched all those shows from Hollywood, this man that has a little couple drops of blood and maybe a couple uh, uh, cuts here and there. And that is supposed to be the representation of Jesus. No, the Bible says that based upon how badly he was beaten, that there was literally ribbons of flesh and meat hanging from his body. That literally bones were exposed and being revealed through the tremendous torment that was placed upon his body. The Bible tells us in Isaiah, it says that his face was so badly beaten that he was unrecognizable as a man. Once again, I want you to see that picture. Because we see this pretty picture of a face that has some blood on it. But the literal face of Jesus was so disfigured, so swollen. His face was probably purple. His eyes were probably swollen clothes. He probably didn't have the ability to speak as a result of how badly his mouth was busted up. This is the picture of who Jesus was. And as he stands there, the people are still crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And once again, isn't that what the mainstream media and the, uh, the, the leftists are saying to you as a church? It's time to crucify him. It's time to crucify him. Because we don't adhere or stand with their convictions. All the while we're saying, but we stand for Jesus, and we stand for love. Out of concern and fear of the mob of people, he says, what would you have me do? They said, crucify him. He says, now wait a minute. He said, you realize that our custom is, is that we will let somebody free from prison on this day. They were celebrating Passover. And he says, now, there's this Jesus that has done no wrong according to what I can find. But I've got another one. There's Barabbas that we have in prison here. He's a serial killer. He is the worst of the worst. He is the most vile criminal that we have in our system. Now, I have Barabbas... And I have Jesus. Who do you want me to let go? You know the story. They cried out, let Barabbas go. See, we're astonished that when we look at the culture today, the profanity, the idolatry, the promiscuity, all the junk that we see placed before us, and we shake our heads like, how in the world has it gotten so vile? It's because of the season that we're in.
just as it was in that day. Here there is the perfect picture of love and the people cry out for the serial murderer. Let him go. And that's what the scripture says. It says over in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 2, or excuse me, verse 20. It says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness. Is that not the hour in which we're living? Listen, it parallels the journey to the cross. But the Bible says that we are the body of Christ. Jesus is coming back for the glorious church. And so these are the things that are proceeding in this time right now. There is a victory that is in front of us through what he did. But we're experiencing much of what Jesus went through himself because of the time in which we live. The Bible tells us that Pilate wrote on the cross that was fashioned for Jesus. For his crucifixion, the Bible says that Pontius Pilate rode on, on that cross. He said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And the religious leaders came to the governor and says, take that off of there. Don't write that on the cross. And Pontius Pilate responded to them. He says, I've written what I've written and it's going to stay there. Isn't it interesting that even the recognition that this is Jesus of Nazareth. The religious still wanted to re reject who he was. And then the journey continued from there. The Bible says that Jesus was forced and led to the place called Golgotha. The place in which he would actually be crucified. But it says that as they led him to the cross. Or excuse me, to that place. They made him carry his cross now think about this this cross had to be large enough to hold a grown man on it it had to be large enough to be elevated into the air as well as being deployed into the ground so it had to be a heavy thing that he must carry but even though it was or even if it wasn't something that was extremely heavy, just think of the burden that it was to carry this cross. The Bible says as he carried this cross, he had to put it upon the back that was ripped to shreds. Skin, muscle, bone, exposed. And he had to carry this cross through the mobs of people. And you can guarantee they weren't parting the, 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 the way for Jesus. You can only imagine that they were pushing, shoving, kicking, spitting, hitting all the while that he was going down the road to that place called Golgotha. Now, once again, to paint the picture of how severely marred Jesus was and beaten so much so that his face was unrecognizable as a man he probably could not even see the path laid before him because of his eyes being so swollen so the only way that he could venture to get down the road was put one foot in front of the other as the crowd pushes him in direction to the place of where he was supposed to be being fatigued being dehydrated 
and being in severe pain, he was made to carry that cross. Now look at what it says here in Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 3. It says, speaking of Jesus, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And he hid, as it were, our face, or, and we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. The Bible says that Jesus was beaten for us and he carried the cross upon that beaten back. He carried the griefs that were acquainted with that. But why is that significant? I said that this journey to the cross means a whole lot for us and what it represents. Notice what it says here in Colossians chapter 2. The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus himself became sin for us. And he also carried the effects of that sin to the cross. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 14, I'm going to read it from the Passions Translations. It says concerning Jesus, it says, He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sin, our stained our stained soul, he deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam, he uh, has been replaced or has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Whoo! The Bible says that your sin, your sickness, your grief, your pains were nailed to the cross. Not only did Jesus become sin and was nailed to the cross, He Himself carried your sin and placed it upon His back and carried it to that place called Golgotha. So when you think that you are carrying griefs and sorrows and pains and hurts and bitterness, remember Jesus carried it for you. And it was nailed to the cross once and for all of its cancellation. So we don't have a cross today that still has a Jesus hung to it. We have an empty cross because he got off of it. But your sin, your guilt, your shame, your sickness is still nailed to it. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus came to make you free. Can somebody say amen? Amen, amen, amen. Now, here's a statement that I want to draw to your attention because it's a statement that's just kind of out of the blue. Remember I said I'm going to make some points here and there that just draw parallels to the time in which we're living. The Bible says that Jesus was carrying His cross to Calvary. And in the midst... Jesus does make a statement. As he's carrying that cross in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, starting in verse 28, it says, But Jesus turned to them and said, 
daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves as for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which you will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, the breast which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if, for if, they, do, if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? Now that's an odd statement in the midst of him going to Calvary. So what is he saying? He's saying, this is the time that I'm here. And you're doing this to me in this time? But oh, there is a time that is coming that I won't be here. Nor will my presence or my Holy Spirit be here. And in that time, you'll say, oh dear God, isn't it better that we're dead? So what's my point? Oh, it's better to receive Jesus right now before he comes than after. Amen. Why? Because when he comes to take his church, he's going to take his presence from this church. Oh, you think it's difficult to serve Jesus now where you have the help of the Holy Spirit? Oh, how much more difficult is it going to be to serve God or try to serve God without the helper helping you along the way? Without the grace of God being present, without his mercy overflowing and flooding this earth. Oh, you talk about a dark hour and a dark time. When God removes his hand from this earth, it's going to be a dark hour and in those days you're going to say oh mountain fall on me amen and if you recall just to go again to illustrate the point of that do you recall that when Jesus hung on the cross the Bible says that as he hung there as he gave up his last breath and said it's finished the Bible says that there was a time of great darkness that fell on the earth. It was in the middle of the day. But why was it that this great darkness came? Because it was in that moment that God removed his hand. And that's when Jesus also said, My Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you removed your presence from me? Because that's the price of sin. When God and his love no longer abide here, it is dark. And don't we see a dark hour coming on this earth right now? But oh, there's still time. Because you've got the light of God on the inside of you. And the resurrection power, the Bible still says, lives and dwells in you. So we are to be the light in the darkness. Even though it's growing darker and darker, Jesus said, don't hide your light under a bushel. He says, but let it shine. How are we going to let it shine? We're going to let it shine through the love of God. Come on, somebody. Let's love on people. Amen? Amen. Amen. And lastly, I'll leave it with this. The Bible says that Jesus was nailed to the cross. And then he says to them, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You realize that evil is growing at an all-time high. And it's easy for us to become indignant and defiant. 
But we must have the heart of Jesus that says, Father, they don't know what they do. And in the midst of all the stuff that surrounds us, as Paul said in Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. So the victory that lies in the journey to the cross, but all the great victory that we will celebrate next week, as Paul said, I have been crucified with him. I'm telling you, you're in this hour for such a time as this. And God needs you. Can we stand? I've said this before. I just shared it recently with our prayer team, I believe it was. Or maybe it was our leadership group. In a relay race, you always put your best runner at the end of the race. You may say, God, I'm not equipped for these times. You may say, God, I don't have the equipment. I don't have the, the wisdom. But in God's wisdom, He puts you on this earth for this time. You always put the best runners at the end of the race. Paul said, I've ran my race. I've done what God's called me to do. And we're in that same race, but we're at the end. So that means that before the foundation of the earth, God saw you as the best of the best. He saw you as bringing it home. He saw you as reaching out to the precious fruit of the earth. And what an awesome responsibility it is. And so it's not by chance that GVC is here. Oh, you can look around and say, wow, it could be or it should be more full. But you're here. And so we're going to run the race. And we're going to build His church. And the glory is going to fill the house. And then we're going to go home. Amen. All these are exciting times that we're living in. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning. If you're watching online. And you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I want to give you that opportunity. Because next week is Easter Sunday. And you truly can't enjoy Easter without being a Christian or a child of God. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. I don't know if I've received Christ. If you're watching online and you say, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. I want to give you that opportunity. You might say, well, how do I do that? The Bible says you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You might say, well, I hope I'd get to heaven. If Jesus were to come today, I hope I would go. Listen, hoping won't get you there. Wishing will not get you there. You might say, well, I think I would. You can't think your way to heaven. Jesus was asked, how must I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. What does that mean? There's the natural birth, but then there is the spiritual birth of receiving Christ into your life. How do I do that? Once again, the Bible says that all that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when I count to three, if you're here in this place and you say, I would like to receive Christ. I want to pray that prayer. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. We're going to pray that together. Now, this is my guarantee to you. I'm not going to call you up front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed. But I want you just to raise your hand when I count to three. And if that's you, lift it high. And that way, 
as I pray, I know that I'm praying for you. If you're watching online, you pray this prayer that we're getting ready to pray. On the count of three, one, two, three. Just lift your hand if you want to receive Christ in this place this morning. Anybody, anybody in this place, I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else, you can put it down once you put it up. If today was for one person, it was worth it all. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. If you're simply wanting to rededicate your life to Christ, then pray this prayer with us today. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus that he went to the cross for my sins. I ask you now, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. It's just that simple. It's a simple prayer, but it's a journey for the rest of your life. And we so want to help you grow in your relationship with God. If you've never received our Believer's Pack as you leave down in the Connect spot, you can grab one of those and it'll just help you get started in your walk with God. It'll just give you some points of reference. But once again, just come back to church. If you don't like us, if you don't want to attend this church, that's okay. Just let us know. We'll help you find one that you do like. Amen. If you don't like me, well, there's other pastors out there. It's all right. Amen. I won't take it personal, at least not too bad. <laughs> well, that's it. Do you feel the glory? Do you feel the filling? I know you do. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and come back next week for God to move on your behalf again. Want to know more? Check us out online and our social media, all from our website, gvchurch.tv. We are Genesee Valley Church, loving God, loving people, and loving life.